Everything changes in today's marketplace. Technology, competition, staff, and even clients. Everyone is doing business differently than they once did. The challenge many face is keeping up with the change. Welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty with your host, Meredith Elliott Powell. By learning from the insights and expertise of guests like those you'll hear today, you can thrive in ways you never thought possible. Now, here is Meredith Elliott Powell. Welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how the marketplace changes or what this economy does. I'm Meredith Elliott-Powell, your host, and I am excited about today's guest and our topic. We're going to talk about everything from change to how you succeed in business today, or if I borrow his word, how you flourish. Our guest today is a highly acclaimed keynote speaker and successful consultant, Randy Pennington. And I can tell you, he is somebody that I have um, just been an idol for me in the field for a long time. So welcome to the show, Randy. We are really excited to have you here. Thank you so much. And, you know, let me just stop and say right now, um, everywhere I look, you're there right now. (laughs) You are just out there rocking it in the marketplace. So congratulations, you're doing amazing work. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, there are so many reasons I wanted to have you on the show today, but but um, really for the most is I think that you are honestly just one of the most innovative, interesting minds when it comes to business today and all the changes and the things that are happening in it. So I like to start by, um, I have the advantage of knowing your background, but I'd like you to start just for our listeners to Give a little overview of who Randy Pennington is and how Randy Pennington got to where he is today. All right. I'll try to make it really quick. (laughs) Um, You know, I've been sort of an organization, culture, and change geek for about 30 years. Uh, And that's mostly, you know, people have gone through stuff. They went to, you know, they did customer service, then they did leadership. I've only done this culture change in organizational culture for about 30 years. Now, various pieces, but it's all been that. Now, before I got into, uh, went out on my own, I was a partner in a small boutique consulting firm um, where we did a lot. In fact, we did a lot of the initial work with a guy named Mark Edwards out of uh, Arizona to pioneer the very first work in 360 feedback. Um, So, you know, I I did that. Before that, I was a hospital administrator. I did a startup in a mental health facility for children and adolescents where I was responsible for eight departments and uh, pretty much one of the three top senior leaders. Before that, I worked in HR for a little while. And while I was in grad school, Meredith, this is probably the most relevant. While I was in grad school, uh, I played volleyball with schizophrenics for a living. <laughs> okay, interesting. Which, pro- which probably more than anything else uniquely qualifies <laughs> me to work in corporate America today. Um, I would, I would, having worked in corporate America, I would agree. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've come at this from, um, you know, I came at it from the, from the psychology background, from the business background, um, from the organizational development and HR background. So I've, I've had a lot of different things uh, that have all led into how I got where I am today. 
So, so if it's, you know, if you go back 30 years and, and as you said, everybody was into customer service and sales and things like that, you, you must have been a true trailblazer in the areas of culture and um, organizational development because those were not really terms that were thrown around um, often back then, certainly not like they're thrown around today. So was that just always a natural inclination that you had that it was such an important area? Well, you know, it's interesting. Culture has taken a, um, an organizational culture has taken a couple of turns around the block, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, there were two guys uh, named, uh, that wrote a book called Organizational Culture in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Peters, if you read it yes, in sir. Search of Excellence, was basically talking about culture. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I was at the time, I was doing a startup of a hospital and we built this thing, Meredith, from the ground up. And we knew intuitively that if we got the culture right, everything else would follow. So um, within the first two years, our turnover rate in a startup, we were in a startup, our turnover rate was 50% less than all of the, our wow. comparable places. Um, we were doing things that nobody else was doing in the way of retention and organizational development and training and what have you. So, I knew intuitively back then that it was important. It's, you know, we've called it different things. I, you know, I was a, a partner in the firm that created the concept of non-punitive discipline in the workplace. Mm-hmm which sounds like a real geeky labor relations issue until you realize that it's what happens when things go bad in an organization that determines really what the culture you want to create is. Right. It's easy to be inclusive when everything's rocking and rolling and going great. That's the easy part. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, it, there's, it's gone through a couple of it. I wrote results rule about 10 years ago. Um, at the time, nobody, the subtitle of that book was Build a Culture That Blows the Competition Away. At the time, it was about the only book with culture in the title. Yeah. Now, everybody's got culture in the title. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what, how do I say it differently because now I sound like everyone else. And, and so, I'm, I'm working on that. But no, I, I've always sort of intuitively known it. My own experience created it. Um, but I... Like I said, I've been at this for a while now, so. Well, you know, I think the thing that's that's so interesting about that is, so I did come up through um, corporate in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, and I think um, in the late 90s was the first time we got our first organizational development person, and we didn't start referring to culture until 2001. So, you know, sort of an interesting thing about that, while I think that those terms lived out there, I don't think that corporate or business was really forced to pay attention to it because it certainly wasn't the competitive environment that it is now or the, I mean, you know, those were back in the days when competition was the guy down the street and ordering online was Sears catalog, right? So do you feel that culture has become more relevant today than it's ever been? I, I don't think it's more relevant, Meredith. I think it's more recognized. Okay. Um, you know, if, if you go back to um, Southwest Airlines started with the notion of uh, create the culture, 
Hire for Attitude, Teach the Fit. New Course Steel, Steel did the same thing. And this was back in the 70s. Yeah. And everybody was going, yeah, but that's just Southwest Airlines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're just different. Herb Kelleher, he's different. And so um, there were companies that knew that. Uh, I just think what's beginning to realize is you can't differentiate on your product anymore. Right. You can't really differentiate on your service anymore. The only thing that you have to really separate you in the marketplace is a culture where every single person is aligned to do amazing work and deliver outstanding results. And so now there's no, there's no other competition. I mean, there's no other way to compete. Everybody has the same operating system that you do. Everyone's got the same machinery and, and computer system. They're all hiring from the same schools that everybody else is hiring from. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like everybody else is getting all the smart people and you're getting all the dunces. <laughs> uh, so so there, there's just the realization then that how you get this culture right and then how you keep an organization changing and growing. Um, you, know, you mentioned Sears. You know, Sears should have been Amazon. Yeah. In 1901, the mail was the internet. Mm-hmm. And Sears owned the mail. Um, and they just didn't get it right. Blockbuster, as you know, had the chance to buy Netflix for $55 million and said, no, I don't think we're interested. Right. So um, part of that culture more and more, you know, and, and this is something that I tell my clients all the time, is don't let your culture be hijacked by the HR people. Um, because there are people out there who believe culture is beanbag chairs and nap rooms and that, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with beanbag chairs and nap rooms. It's just that, you know, a culture that has fun that doesn't deliver results that's not a company, that's a party. Mm-hmm. So it, it, today, that part of that has to be how do you stay nimble, how you deal with change, how you, and it's always been there for great companies. So, so I want to dive a little bit deeper in that because you said something I think is so important, and that is that don't let your culture be hijacked by your HR department. There have been very few organizations that you know, I've worked in coming up through the ranks that culture or organizational development was not delegated to the um, to the HR department. It was always a, you know, a people thing and they'll, and they'll build the strategy in that. So kind of what are the dangers of that? And then what should – what should culture be? If it isn't beanbags and parties, what is it? Well, first off, let's talk about what it is first, because culture is really your habits. Mm, it's that. the habits of the, com- of the company displayed over time. Now, hopefully that, those habits match the core values and the vision and the strategy. But as you and I both know, that's often not the case. Right. I mean, you know, even... Enron had the values on their wall of respect, integrity, community, and excellence. So, um, so it, it really is the habits of the organization. Now, here's where if you buy into that, then if you think who owns that, well, it, HR is sort of the keeper of it. Organizational development is sort of the driving force. But it's what happens at the second on the second shift at three o'clock in the afternoon with some guy named Murray. Yeah. 
that really determines what the culture is. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge then for all the organization and HR people and the challenge for leaders is to realize that you can use the knowledge of how to develop culture through the HR department. But if you, if you limit it just to that, you're missing an opportunity because the culture is what happens in the day-to-day trenches of your business. So how does a, how does, well, you know, I think that the interesting thing about culture is you have one, whether you've practically created one or not, right? You can't not have one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's a matter of creating the culture that, that you, um, that you want. Where does, you know, where do you suggest that leaders and business owners, because I imagine this is for certainly corporate, but small businesses as well. I mean, where do you begin to, to develop your culture? Well, you you begin at, you know, that's a big debate. Is it top down or is it bottom up? I think um, ultimately it needs to be top down. Mm -hmm. There are some examples of bottom up that work, but there aren't many. Most of it's top down. And so you start by what do you stand for? What are your values? You start by not just what do you stand for and how you treat people, but what do you stand for and how you treat customers? What do you stand for around quality, around service, around all those key elements that make your business profitable? And then from there, you realize that if culture is the habits displayed over time, think of all the levers that you have in your business. And I had the same conversation. I had this conversation with the Fortune 50 group last fall. Um, and, and this guy said, you know, my division is 20,000 people. Yeah. My, my division is 20,000 people. And he said, how do I influence 20,000? And my comment to him is you can't. Mm-hmm. You have eight regional vice presidents or eight regional presidents. Your job is to have those eight people get it. And their job is to have that next 64 people get it. Um, because you think of all the levers, it's who you hire, how you hire, who you promote, who you fire, how do you manage performance reviews, how do you manage feedback, how do you, how do you give workout, how do people, I mean, think of all the levers that have that create habits and how they do things. Those are the things that create your culture. Hmm. So, you know, one thing that one thing that you had mentioned, and we were talking about this a little bit before we before we came on air, is I had talked about the fact that boy, things are changing fast, and you had uh, they are they are, but you had so um, gently corrected me, and I'd love to talk about that for a minute as it relates to change and our history of um, of change and what how kids today refer to change uncertainty. Well, and and first off, the things that we think of as change and uncertainty, uh, the people coming into the workplace today consider as normal. Mm-hmm. It's only it's the only thing they know. Um, you know, if you go back even to all the programs, when was the first time in corporate America you ever heard a speech or a seminar on change? It was either who moved my cheese or my iceberg is melting. Right. One of those two. <laughs> it was who moved my cheese. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> And, and so that notion of change was, change is coming, you better adapt. Right. And I mean, do you realize that in our world, change has been probably one of the top topics requested for programs since the 1990s? Yeah. 
So, so in other words, you know, even though we know it's, I mean, I, I sort of think we'd be better at it by now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yes. <laughs> but, but we're not. And one of the reasons I think why we're not is uh, humans have this incredible ability, I believe, to look at change through the lens of where they've been rather than through the perspective of where they're going. Okay, talk a little bit more about that. Well, I mean, if you think about uh, where we've been, when we think things are changing fast as compared to what? Mm-hmm. Well, what I used to know. Right. You know, from the time in the, you know, in the 90s when you were in the workplace, you know, you did one or two big change efforts a year, and the rest of the time you just did your job. Mm-hmm. Today, your job has changed. And so if you're one of those folks that b- grew up in that, the perspective of things are changing fast. And they are, by the way, they're changing faster than they've ever changed. And this will be the slowest that they ever change again. <laughs> so, so when you think about it that way, Meredith, it's, um, you know, if, if we have to think about it in perspective of everybody else's experience, the same thing at some point. I, you know, I, I told a group the other day, uh, I, somehow I bet back in the days of the Old West, a group of Pony Express riders sat around the bar at the end of the day and said, yeah, I don't think this telegraph thing will ever take off. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, Randy, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk more about change and I want to talk more about, uh, I want to explore a little bit our human nature, our resistance to it and, um, and what, we, what we should be doing uh, with change. So we're going to come back um, Uh, from a quick break with the legendary Randy Pennington and talk more about this whole subject of flourish and uncertainty. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell, author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker, Meredith coaches executives, trains next level leaders, and builds sales teams in her innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities 
securities and real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is mere at valuespeaker.com. Again, that's mere at valuespeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. And welcome back to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how this marketplace changes or what this economy does. I'm Meredith Elliott-Powell, and we are here with Randy Pennington talking about uncertainty and change. Now, Randy, right before the break, we were talking about, I loved the comment you made that when you said, you know, you would think by now we would be um, better at it. The point is, you know, I probably attended my first workshop on change in um, in the late 80s, if not the early 90s. And I was listening to a video, watching a video the other day that um, Connie Podesta had done. It was a speaking engagement she'd done in the early 90s. And it was so funny because she was, it was a change seminar and she was talking about the fact of, what is, what is our problem with change? You know, our, could you imagine our ancestors coming over on the Mayflower? They didn't have change workshops or, you know, anything to help people deal with it. They just had to deal with change. But why aren't we any better at change now? I mean, my goodness, we've been attending workshops and keynotes and listening to experts and read the books. But why is change such a challenge? It's hard. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's hard. Um, you know, if you think about why people change, um, I, you know, I, I spent a year, for a number of years, I was really involved with the American Heart Association, and I was chairman of the board for the Heart Association for the state of Texas. And during my year as chair, um, I, I traveled all over the state. I talked to groups, you know, five or six hundred, five or six people, everything in between. I always ask them these three questions. How many of you know you should eat healthier than you eat today? Every hand goes up. How many of you know you should exercise more than you exercise today? Every hand goes up. If you smoke, how many of you know you shouldn't smoke? Every hand goes up. They said, okay, so why don't you do it? Well, people change basically for one of two reasons. Crisis pushes them to change, Mm -hmm. which is how most of us change our health, or opportunity pulls us to change. And so when you think about why, how humans change, what, it, it's not because of intellectual understanding. We all know that we need to be better tomorrow. It's because of emotional readiness. Mm-hmm. So that emotional readiness comes when there's a, a crisis 
It's amazing. Somebody cracks open your chest, put, does a bypass on you, you decide to change. Right. Crisis. Um, and by the way, if you have a good crisis, don't waste it, but don't make one up. Either. <laughs> People are pretty smart about that. But the other side is, if, if you deal with crisis, which, by the way, is how traditional change dealt with change. If you go back to the 80s and 90s, a lot of the original talk was, what's your burning platform? Um, all right, so what do you do when, you know, the, the, the notion was the burning platform, you jumped off. Okay, today it's different. The platform is still burning. And by the way, you still have to make the drilling rig one. Mm-hmm. And so where's the, op- so now more and more businesses, especially the good ones, are, I think are, are realizing if you can create this compelling opportunity that people will run to be a part of something bigger than themselves, which is why I think you see a lot of the stuff around what's your why and all right. that kind of, because people want to be part of something that's really important for, not just for themselves, but for the world. I just read millennials believe that business has the opportunity to change the world. Mm-hmm. You and I didn't grow up that way. No, not at all. No. This is okay. You made money. Right. That's how you change the world. Mm-hmm. You made money. Social responsibilities, you sponsored the Little League baseball team. Um, so you, there is that change. And, and that's why it's hard. That's why we don't do it well. Um, by the way, the other reason why we don't change particularly well is if we could do it perfect the first time, we would all change and do something different. <laughs> But change requires struggle and a little bit of failure and all that, all those fun things. Yeah, you told me you're going to be playing golf with a couple of our friends this week. <laughs> you know, and when the first time you picked up a golf club, if you'd hit it 250 yards right down the middle of the fairway, you would have gone, this is great. Why didn't I do this years ago? Right. Uh, you know, I, that, I mean, that's such a great point because I, so I, I grew up um, a golfer and I am old enough that when you played golf as a child, they told you not to play tennis because it would screw up your golf swing, which is completely untrue. So this year I took up tennis. I've just taken it up and I'm very bad at it. And I had, and I was telling my friends, I said, you know, thank goodness I pushed through and have struggled through golf and skiing and swimming and, you know, failing on the platform speaking, right. That I'm okay with, humiliating myself with trying to learn the game of tennis because I've had that kind of, you know, humiliating experience and know there will be an end to it. How do you create that in, in, um, in business? Because I sort of have a theory that when 2008 hit and everybody got so paranoid about the economy, we really, I don't know that we tolerated failure before that, but I feel like there was no room for it. And we haven't really allowed it to eke back into the fabric of business in the last 10 years. Well, and um, interestingly enough, I mean, you, you've hit on a really important point. I was just reading a piece about GE. Mm-hmm. You and I both remember a time when GE was legendary. Yes. Yeah. GE is still good, but they're no longer legendary. Mm-mm. And if you look back at why, um, part of it was complacency, but a big part of it is Activist investors, if you're in a big public company, uh, you have investors right now that don't tolerate a long-term vision for the business. Uh, 
So if you so if you look at why Amazon is doing so well versus uh, a legacy public company, nobody's expecting. I mean, when you buy a into Amazon stock, you're buying on growth. You're not buying on profitability and return and dividend. Mm-hmm. If you're an activist investor going after GE or Blockbuster, which they did there, I mean, you look at any of those businesses, Kodak, they went in and said, we want to, we need more value out of the business right now. Right. Now, that's, I think, a good thing because it keeps the people from becoming lethargic. But it's also a bad thing because what people learn is you can't fail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the clients, in fact, I wrote about them in uh, Results Rule, was a municipal government who was doing some amazingly innovative things. And the... CEO slash city manager told me, because when we talked about it, he said, probably the most important thing is the elected officials allowed us to fail in pursuit of doing great work. Mm-hmm. He said, now, I, I looked at that. I went back and looked at that community a few years back. Their elected officials changed. All of a sudden, instead of the, the leadership, the board, if you will, saying, we're going to do great work. The board said, we're going, to be vi- we're going to be efficient and not spend any money. And they're still good. But what's happened is not that they've gotten worse, is it created the space for everyone else to get better. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's where a lot of businesses are. Um, you know, they, they, especially the, the large legacy business. They're not getting bad. Everybody else is getting better trying to catch them. Yeah. We're going to take one more break. And when we come back, I want to talk about um, uncertainty um, and your, your work and, um, around getting people to understand it and to get, um, to get comfortable. So we're going to be right back with um, Randy Pennington and the subject of uncertainty after we take a quick break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell, author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker, Meredith coaches executives, trains next-level leaders, and builds sales teams in her innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. 
Are you tired of hearing the future is already here? We are too. That may have been yesterday's future, but today's future hasn't happened yet. Take a deep breath, tune out the hype, the noise, and turn up the volume. Voice America brings you savvy, art of the possible technology visionaries talking about how today's innovations right now are shaping every aspect of our real future. We'll laser focus our spotlight on workplace, health, digital media, transportation, smart cities, social marketing, fashion, food, smart home, consumer gadgets, and buzzworthy tech like artificial intelligence, machine learning, internet of things, augmented reality, and lots more. Clear your calendar and open your mind for technology revolution, the future of now. With the most upbeat host on global radio, Bonnie D. Graham. Listen anywhere, anytime, on any device. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on The Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is mere at valuespeaker.com. Again, that's mere at valuespeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. All right, welcome back to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to succeed no matter what this economy does. Well, hopefully you have been with us and really um, capturing this fascinating conversation. I want to talk in a moment uh, about uncertainty, but I want to talk a little bit more about failure. And Randy, your interesting um concept understanding of the different types of failure. Yeah, and I think it's about mistakes. I mean, um, we were talking offline, and I think it's true. Think of the most important lessons you've ever learned in your life. Completely. You know, how many of those came from mistakes? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can only think of one personally. Um, my brother's six years older than me. He got caught sneaking out of the house to take my dad's pickup truck to go joyriding when he was 15. And I saw what happened to him and learned from his mistakes. But aside from that, I made every one of them on my own. <laughs> so, um, so let's think about mistakes because here's the challenge that we have in business. There's two types of mistakes. There's a mistake of the head, <clears throat> excuse me, mistake of the head and a mistake of the heart. Now, mistake of the head is when your heart's in the right place. You're doing it for the right reasons. You were just stupid that day. You know, it was an honest mistake. Well, those are really learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then there's the mistakes of the heart is when my head knows exactly what it's doing, but my heart is doing it for the wrong reason. Mm. 
I'm trying to throw a team member under the bus. I'm trying to act outside of our corporate values. I'm trying to do something that, that doesn't represent us and who we are. Those are mistakes of the heart. And see, I think mistakes of the heart you get rid of very quickly. Mistakes of the head, you use those as learning opportunities until the point that you go, wait a minute, you, you should have learned this by now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, I've always said, I've always sort of interpreted what you're saying is I've always asked myself when I look at mistakes and what was my intention? And there have been times when my intention has been pure, but it was, oh, it was so stupid. And I'm just, I'm really, it was really dumb and really caused a problem. But, but if my heart was in the right place, if my intention was there, and then I've made mistakes where my intention wasn't pure. And that's something that you, you know, you really look back on. And that's the kind of stuff that really keeps you up at night. But I do think in our environments, we've got to give people the room to make some of those mistakes and to have people check their intention, and if they're trying to do the right thing, it's just not always going to be perfect. Well, and, and that's really incumbent upon leaders, mm-hmm. I believe. Leaders have to get to know people at a deeper level other than just, you're not just your KPIs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to get to understand who they are, where they're going. The good news is um, the millennial and Gen Zs that are coming into the workplace today, they all want that. Yeah. They want to be, they want relationship, they want invested in, and they, uh, they want all that before they, before they want that, um, that KBI. You know, that'll be an interesting thing, though. I mean, I'm of the boomer generation, and in my generation, you got promoted because you were good at what you did, not because you were good at developing people. And now we've put ourselves into a situation where you have a lot of leaders of my generation inheriting a group of people that want to be invested in, that want to be developed, and want a connection and a relationship with their leader. You know, and when you think about it, I mean, I, I grew up in that same generation. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, the best technician became the best, became the manager. Um, and, and, you know, I, it's interesting. I've got this older millennial. She's 38 now, so she's right at the top end of the millennial generation. Yeah. CEO of a group of about 1,000 employees. Um, and the, the cool thing is, she says, you know, if you get to a department head level, that is the highest technical level in the organization where you have to understand how things operate mm-hmm. because anything above that, the, the VPs, the whatever, that's not a natural promotion. That's a different career. Interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. She started off as a budget analyst, hmm. you know, uh, right out of college. And she's been a fast tracker, you know, the whole way, but she goes, you know, budget analyst. I was a tech, I was a technician. Yeah. I got to be a department head. I was still a technician. She goes, then I moved up to that next level. And all of a sudden I was now supervising and managing departments that I didn't have technical expertise over. That's a different job. Yeah. It's not an extension of who I was. That's a different career. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, then I got to the top and um, you know, we've also had the conversation about she's, she got it at 37, so she's 40 now, probably. Um, 
to realize that at 40, where does she go from here? Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, um, she goes, I'm looking for people at the senior level who understand and invest in a different career. Mm. That they really want to do something. They're ready to let that technical piece go. Right, right. We didn't do, you and I didn't do that. Not at all. Not yes. at all. But, 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 um, but she is, first of all, how, um, how insightful for her to, to notice that. But it is so true. I was working with a young client um, this morning who's about the same age. And she's just been promoted to the executive level of this really large firm. And it's, that's the challenge for her is to get out of the day-to-day and really start to lead people. And I think our generation got away with not having to develop and lead people at the level. I mean, it certainly could have been better, but I think it's a, I think it's a, I don't think you can survive as a company these days without doing that. No, no. Um, you know, and it's interesting. I just read today a, um, a piece that I'm actually working on for a presentation tomorrow. Top, top three CEO concerns of 2019 uh, from the conference board. Uh, number one is talent. Mm-hmm. Number two is new business models to combat against disruption. And number three is developing the next generation of leaders. Yeah. And so, I mean, all those things go into that, everything that you, that you've talked about. So, um, by the way, the reason I'm doing that is um, I'm working right now with an independent school district, and we're creating the portrait of a successful high school graduate in the year 2035. Wow. Um, and then you go like, that's cool, but then you realize that kid starts the school in two years. Yeah, it's also, the first thing that went through my head is, is what that, how different that model is going to look from the graduate today. Right. But it's the exact same thing that you've just talked about, though, yeah. because right now we said, you know, we, we said, well, gee, you can pass the test to graduate. That means you're technically competent. Okay, so why do you need to be technically competent when everything that you want is at your fingertips? Right. Or, or I think like, you know, when I work with companies and they hire somebody based off their experience or resume, I always, I always advise, you know, that's really irrelevant because the job that you are hiring them to do is going to be different six months to a year from now. I mean, it doesn't matter who you hire right now, there's going to be training involved at some level. Right. And so, you know, we're looking for things like curiosity and collaboration and, creativity and the courage to speak up and challenge the status quo and, right. you know, all those things that they don't teach you in business school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, um, you know, or, or really, um, or really anywhere anymore. Um, Randy, I cannot believe this, but we have basically come to the end of our time, uh, which means that you are going to have to come back and talk about your new book and this whole piece of uncertainty that I never, that I never got to because we had such other interesting things to talk about. But I do want my audience to know how to find you, get in touch with you, learn about you, because you do write um, research and provide such um, interesting and relevant information. So how do they get a hold of you? Well, the website... Meredith is penningtongroup.com. All one word, penningtongroup.com. Um, you can find me on pretty much all the basic social media places. I'm around there as well, YouTube and LinkedIn and 
Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I write for CIO. Uh, I'm a, I contribute there. I used to write for Huffington Post. If you type in Randy Pennington Huffington Post, you can see a oh, hundred or so pieces that I did for them over a couple of years. Uh, so, um, I, you know, if you type in Randy, I'm pretty easy to find at that point, and <laughs> and uh, and I'm out there. Um, so I appreciate you doing that. By the way, I will tee up our next conversation on uncertainty. Great. Uh, here's here's the thing that we have to know about uncertainty. The world has always been uncertain. Through the technology that we have today, we be, more people become more uncertain quicker. I feel like you've left us with a cliffhanger or a teaser. You're from, you're from uh, Texas, so it reminds me when uh, Dallas <laughs> used to be on and they were the first ones to do, to do the cliffhangers. I probably dated myself um, with that. But, um, but we are definitely, I definitely want to come um, back, when have you come back on, talk about your new book, really talk about uh, uncertainty. I think it's such an important subject for businesses and leaders today. But Randy, again, I want to thank you for being um, on the show. You've just been a fantastic and such an interesting guest. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Great. And um, our audience, I look forward to seeing you for another episode of Thriving in Uncertainty. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Thriving in Uncertainty. Please join your host, Meredith Elliott Powell, for another program next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, embrace the change in your business and yourself. 